Okay, how is it that God wants London City Presbyterian Church to function in 2016? How does he want us uh, in our congregation to function in the year ahead? If we're going to be a, a congregation, a group of people, a community of faith that's pleasing Jesus, honouring our Saviour this year, what is it that we should be doing? Like, what sort of services should we hold this coming year? And uh, what should be going on in those services? And who should those services be aimed at? Who should be taking part in the leading of those services? What should the men of the congregation be doing? What should the women of the congregation be doing this year? How should London City Presbyterian Church function in the year ahead? A lot of questions there. First thing I want to say tonight is that it's good that you are here this evening. It's good not just because of this. The corporate worship of God is the supreme activity that man can engage in in this life. But good also because this evening we begin a new sermon series. Okay? So over the next number of Sunday evenings, what we're going to be doing is looking at this a New Testament a book, this letter, First Timothy. And get this, as we do that, what we're going to see over the next number of weeks is actually answers to all of those questions that we pose. See, what Paul does in writing this letter is he shows us, or the Holy Spirit shows us what it is that God wants in churches, how God wants congregations and churches to function. And I think even more majestically than that, what happens, what Paul does in First Timothy, he takes all of the organization of the church, do you know what he does with it? He roots it all in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next number of weeks. So tonight, what do we do? We pray. And then this evening, what we're going to do is just look at the salutation, the greeting, just verse 1 and 2. That's all we're going to consider tonight. So, first of all, would you join me in prayer? Lord, every good thing that we have in our lives, it comes from you. You are a God of goodness. You are a God of blessing. And as we have just sung, you are a God of mercy. And really, as a congregation tonight, as we set out on this sermon series, as we set out studying this uh, book of 1 Timothy, we ask you for goodness. We ask you in the name of Christ for grace and blessing as we look at these things. We do especially ask that tonight that you would be here amongst us and that we would know that. We would know a special and particular presence of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us with fatigue or, or tiredness or illness or distraction, and that our eyes would be on Jesus. Lord, would you give us ears to hear, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, turn back with me, if you haven't done so, to First uh, Timothy chapter 1. <coughs> and let's look at a, a few things that we see here. First of all, we see something here of Paul's view of himself. So that's the first thing we want us to think about. How does Paul view himself? Paul's view of himself. <coughs> Excuse me. 
If you just look at the first word of the whole letter, and what is it? Paul. So it's kind of clear, isn't it? You know, this letter brought to be written by the Apostle Paul. The question I've got for you, though, is maybe, maybe a strange question. Was it? Like, it proposed to be written by Paul, but was it written by the Apostle Paul? Like, if you go to a, a faculty of divinity in a number of our universities up and down the land, they are going to come in and they're going to say, actually, this wasn't written by the Apostle Paul at all. So they're going to say, no, this was written by somebody else. And they're going to say this for a couple of reasons. They would say that uh, the details of the the details of the letter here, they don't match up with what we know of Paul's life in the, the rest of the New Testament. So they'll say that. They'll also say that the language that Paul uses in First Timothy, that that doesn't match up with the language that he uses elsewhere in the New Testament. Okay, so they're going to say, this letter not written by, it might say it's written by Paul, but it's not written by Paul. What do we do with that? They write. I wouldn't give any credence to that at, at all. Not at all. I mean, think about it. What, what are the things, the details of Paul's life? Well, what do we know about Paul? Do you remember, we've, we've just gone through Acts. What happens at the end of Acts? You've got Paul in jail. Now, they're going to say, well, Paul died in jail. But actually, what is much more likely is at the end of Acts that Paul was released from jail. And he goes into active ministry for another few years, and then he's rearrested and imprisoned. And see those years, those active years? Well, those would account for the details of Paul's life that you've got in First Timothy. What was the other thing? The language of First Timothy. I mean, don't you think there's innumerable reasons why the language here would differ from elsewhere in Paul's letters? I mean, who's he writing to here? He's writing to a guy. He's writing to one person. He's not writing as elsewhere to the church in Colossae or the church in, you know, Thessalonica. He's writing, wouldn't you, if you were doing that, wouldn't your style differ a wee bit? Wouldn't the language, the vocabulary differ? Maybe that. It's maybe that Paul uses a secretary here. It's maybe that. Do you know what? Do you know what? Maybe the language differs because in First Timothy, what we're going to see is that Paul uses a lot of pre-existing creeds. He uses a lot of pre-existing Christian songs as he writes this letter. There's, there's loads of reasons why the, the language might be different. But do you see the point? You take all the evidence about this and kill surprise. What a surprise. What comes out of it? The Bible. The Bible says is right. <laughs> What a surprise. The author here is Paul. Okay. More than just learning who wrote the letter. If you look at verse 1, I think we learn something about how Paul viewed himself, don't we? Would you look at how the letter continues? So we've had the first word, Paul. What does he call himself? Paul, an apostle. Do you know what an apostle is? Sure, most of us know what an apostle is. An apostle, or what apostle was. An apostle was an eyewitness of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You had to be an eyewitness of the risen Lord to be an apostle. An apostle was somebody who was a representative of Jesus. 
An apostle was somebody called by the risen Lord Jesus Christ in a task. So we know what an apostle was. Now, you know what it's like when you get emails from your friends. I'm sure it'll be like this in your inbox. Um, you will have emails from some people in your life and they've got eccentricities when they send you uh, an email. Isn't that the case? They've got sort of personal traits, sort of ways that they write emails. I've got a friend, <laughs> for some reason, he's a close friend of mine, but still when he is writing an email to me, he will always begin it the same way. So it's never, hi Andy, and it's never, uh, dear Andy, or he never just goes straight into the email for some reason, he always begins it very formally, hello, Andy. I guess it's really weird, you know, for a, a very close friend to begin it. Hello, Andy. But he always does it. He always begins his emails the same way. Now, what I want you to understand is that that's what you've got with Paul. Like, Paul nearly always begins his letters in the same way. Like, you've got 13 New Testament letters by Paul. Oh, of those nine begin with a statement about his apostleship. So he's nearly always beginning talking about the fact that he is an apostle. But what is noticeable in this one is slightly different. Because here in First Timothy, look at this, look at the, the clarity or, or how fervently he establishes his apostleship. Do you see it? Look at it. What does he say? He says, Paul, and he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. But what is he going to say? By the command of God. I mean, man alive. I mean, he's laying this down as strongly as he could, isn't he? I am an apostle. But I am an apostle by the command of eternal God. Now, as we go into this letter, we're going to see why Paul establishes his credentials so strongly. But tonight, right now, what I want you to think about is just how fixed, just how unswerving Paul is from his calling. I mean, isn't that the case? I mean, do you see what you've got in First Timothy? Paul is an old man here. I mean, he's an old guy writing this letter. That's what you've got to think here. And one commentator writes this. I read this earlier on in the week. He says that Paul's death, it sort of looms large, not just over 2 Timothy, but his impending death, it looms large over all of the, the pastoral epistles. Do you see it? He's an old man. And he knows that he will die soon. And yet, look at this, man. I mean, look at how, how fervent he is even here. He lays down his apostleship more fervently here than perhaps anywhere else. Do you see what it's like? It's like for Paul, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ is shining even more brightly now at the end of his life than it did even on the Damascus Road. And I simply want to ask you this evening... Is that the same for you? Is it? I mean, are you more fixed now on the Lord Jesus Christ and the wonder of the gospel than you used to be? Could that be it of you? I mean, as a, 
as a Christian, you must understand, of course you are not an apostle, but you have received from God the most wonderful calling. Do you realize that? As a Christian here, that God has chosen you. And he's chosen you for a particular task. You've got this glorious, amazing responsibility. I mean, think about it. God has chosen you to bear witness his son. He's chosen you to, to speak about Jesus, to tell people about the gospel. But I ask you what has happened here. Has that faded from your view? Is it now hidden slightly out of sight? Or can it be said of you tonight? Will it be said of you in this coming year, 2016, that you, as a Christian, are much more fixed on the Great Commission than you used to be? We see something here of Paul's view of himself. A second thing to consider is Paul's view of Timothy. Paul's view of Timothy. Uh, many of you were here when we went through um, the letter to the Colossians. Um, I wonder if you remember when we did that, hey, we noticed that a letter in the ancient world had sort of three, you know, there's a formula, wasn't there? Um, that begun a letter in the ancient world. Do you remember it had to have three things, a letter? At the beginning, you would have the sender stated, then you'd have the recipient stated, and then you would, there would be something about the greeting, those three things. So we've had the sender. Who's the recipient of this letter? Verse two. It is Timothy. <laughs> Who's Timothy? Well, you, I suppose you could say that God's been good to us as a congregation because we are coming to First Timothy on the back of about 18 months, about a year and a half of us going through the book of Acts where Timothy plays a, a crucial role. So should be the case that we are more familiar with this guy Timothy than we used to be. But let's just say that we're not, okay? He's Timothy. Well... Do you remember? Let's try and refresh our memories. Do you remember that Paul and Barnabas went off on a first missionary journey? Do you remember some of the places they went to? And they went to Iconium. They went to Derby. They went to another place. Do you remember they went to Lystra? So Paul and Barnabas went to Lystra. Now that was Timothy's hometown, right? Now wait, look at this. Look at verse 2 and see how Paul, how Paul refers to Timothy here. You see what he calls him? What language this is, isn't it? He says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. I like that. I mean, it's beautiful language. It's like, he's saying, to Timothy, my dear child in the faith. Why is, why is Paul calling Timothy that? Well, here's the thing. What seems most likely is that in Lystra, it was Paul who showed Timothy the wonder of the gospel. See, in that first missionary journey, it seems most likely that Paul's gone in there and he's preached the gospel. And Timothy's responded that it's Paul that's actually taken Timothy by the hand. And he's, and he's walked into the cross of Jesus Christ. That it's Paul that has led him to be forgiven by Jesus. 
See, the thing is that from that point on, what begins is the most beautiful partnership in the gospel between those men. So you've got Timothy, the young guy, and the old Paul. And there's this connection. See what happens? Paul goes back on a second missionary journey, right? What does he do? He identifies Timothy, and he takes Timothy with him, anoints Timothy. And then what happens is that Timothy travels with Paul to Thessalonica and to Corinth. And then Paul's arrested. So what does Timothy do? He stands by this, this man in, in, in jail in Rome. And then Paul sends Timothy as his delegate. Do you see, there's this. It's a, a beautiful relationship. And it's an innocent relationship. But it's this beautiful Christ-centered, lasting relationship between these two men. So much so that when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he says to the Corinthian church, I'm sending you Timothy, and he's my son whom I love. What do you think about that? You do, don't you think that is a, a, a beautiful thing? A relationship like that between these two Christians? Here's the thing. Surely that is what we want to see here. Isn't it? Isn't it? That's what the Kirk Session desperately want to see at London City Presbyterian Church. That we want to see relationships, true relationships, genuine relationships between Christians. You know, relationships that actually span the generations. How counter-cultural is that? You know, a relationship between an old Christian and a young Christian where you've got people who are working together, serving together, praying together in Jesus. I wonder, do you have that sort of a relationship in your life as a Christian? Can I say to the, to the older Christians here, would you listen up just now? Do you have that? Do you have, have you taken a younger Christian under your wing? Somebody that you look out for and pray for and serve Christ with. What about the younger Christians here? Do you have an older, more mature believer that you go to for advice about the Christian life? Do you have that? If not, why not? Because these things need to happen in this place and they won't happen by themselves. But look at the example you've got here. Paul and Timothy. What a connection. Such a bond that Paul can see what? He can call Timothy his son. His true son in the faith. So you've got Paul's view of himself and you've got Paul's view of Timothy. A third thing I want us to consider is Paul's view of God. And we're told, aren't we, we hear this often, I think, maybe in the workplace, I don't know, but we hear that <clears throat> in every bit of criticism, there is a hint of truth. Have you heard that before? Uh, that no matter how far-fetched and outrageous the criticism, we're told that in there somewhere is going to be a grain, a hint of justification for that criticism. I don't, do you agree with that or not? I'm not sure that I agree with that idea. I'm not sure. Certainly not here. You see, when it comes to First Timothy, 
liberal scholars would level the criticism at this book that it is light on theology. So a lot of liberal scholars will say, oh, well, Timothy, it's a nice book, and it's got a lot of practical advice about a congregation in a church, lots of nice guidelines, but come on, there's not much there about God. It's a bit light on theology. So any truth in that criticism? Well, I would just ask you to consider the salutation, the opening two verses here. Now, I want to put this to you. You'll need to work with me on this, okay? The first two verses, have a look at this. There are three names or three titles given to God. In just these opening two verses, three titles. Now, here's the thing. This is what you've got to do. You've got to spot them. Do you see them? Each one is prefaced by the pronoun our. So here in two verses, God is called our. God is our what? You see it? God is our saviour. And then Christ Jesus is called our hope. And then, the end, verse 2, Christ Jesus is our Lord. And we're saying, are we not? (laughs) We're not saying, like, come on, not enough theology. Like, we are not even out of the opening greeting. We're not even even in the verse 3. And we've been weighed down by the theology. God is our Savior. He is our hope. He is our Lord. But it is not the titles for the Godhead. It is the relationship within the Godhead that I think Paul has very much in his focus here. Do you see what he's doing in in verse 1 and 2? He's underlining something of the unity of the Father and the Son. Do you see what I mean by that? Look, think about what he says about his apostolic commissioning in verse 1. Like, who does he say has called him to be an apostle? Who's called him to be an apostle here? I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by who? By the command of God, the Father, and of Christ Jesus. So do you see, you've got God the Father, and you've got God the Son, and they're working together in this sort of beautiful harmony and unity, calling Paul. You see the unity? And then look at verse 2. Paul wishes for Timothy grace mercy and peace. Now, where do those things come from? What does it say? Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus. So again, you've got the same thing. Paul's saying that the the God the Father and God the Son, they're not fighting each other. There's not sort of open hostility here. They're working together. There is unity, effective harmony. Now, if, if you're following this, you see, this is deep. We are into the, the very intra-Trinitarian workings of God here. But I'm, I'm encouraging you just to stick with it for a second. And think about what you're learning there about the Son. Do you see what you're learning about the Son? Paul clearly, in verses 1 and 2, views Jesus as being fully and truly For Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is one spoken of in the same breath as God the Father. He is one who is working alongside God the Father. He is one commanding the very same authority 
as God the Father. For Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not inferior. He is Christ, our God. But also, would you consider what we learn about God the Father? And I tell you this, I think this is very important. Because in evangelicalism just now, in the evangelical world, there is this tendency for us to sort of slip into a deficient view of God the Father in our salvation. Do you see what I mean? Many people are viewing salvation like this in the Christian church. That God the Father is full of wrath towards the sinner and the sin. And what has happened is that the Lord Jesus Christ has come in against this. And here's the point. In opposition to God has come in and snatched us away and rescued us. That Christ has done this. Oh, let's get this right. God the Father is angry at sin and the sinner. And Christ Jesus has placated his wrath. But here's the thing we must get. The Father always, always, always desired that that would happen. God the Father, he planned that Christ would do that. Do you see? Do you see the difference? Understand that at the cross, there were no intra-Trinitarian hostilities at all. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Especially here. Do you see why? In a section of Scripture where Paul is underlining the unity between himself and his son in the faith, Timothy, what is he doing? He is also pointing us to a greater father and son relationship. He's saying, I love you, Timothy. You are my son in faith. But look at our God. God the Father and God the Son working together in this beautiful, holy purpose and action. Such a truth should color how we worship our triune God this evening. And then fourthly, and lastly, and briefly, we see something of Paul's view of the Christian faith. Paul's view of himself, Paul's view of Timothy, Paul's view of God. Paul's view of the Christian faith. Okay. We said what? We said that in letters, they've got three things in the ancient world. A sender is spoken of. A recipient is spoken of. What was the third thing? They always had a greeting. Now, I hope I'm right in saying this. I did check it. That in every single letter that Paul writes in the New Testament... He begins, and he includes in his greeting, two words, grace and peace. Every letter he writes. What does that tell you? (laughs) It doesn't just tell you that Paul was a creature of habit, and that's not what it tells you. It tells you that those things, grace and peace, were integral to his understanding of the Christian faith. Doesn't it tell you that? Like, if Paul's going to write a letter, and every single letter he writes to Christians, whether it's an individual or congregation, if he includes those two words, those two words are fundamental to what Paul understands to be a Christian. 
What do they mean, though? What's grace? Surely if you're a Christian this evening, grace is your favorite word. Grace surely is in something of a summary of what God has done and what God is doing for you as a Christian in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It is his love, it is his kindness that he is showing you a wretched sinner. But you see what it is that Paul wants here for Timothy. Like he's praying for grace. He wants Timothy to experience in his life more and more and more of this blessing, of this grace. So Paul wants for Timothy grace. What was the second one? Peace. Are we saying that Paul was a hippie? Is that what? He's wanting peace. Sort of, he's wanting Timothy to have some nice peaceful vibes going on. Is that how we're using this word? No, Paul understands the glory of the gospel. That what Christ has done for Timothy is achieve peace. That Timothy already has peace. Through the cross of Calvary. And what does Paul want? Paul wants Timothy in his outworking of his Christian life to know more of that. You know, to understand more about what has been done. To experience more of this peace. Paul wants for Timothy grace and peace. Now, I wonder, did you notice it? And we're not looking at many words tonight, but did you know, what did I say? Paul, in every single New Testament letter, begins with two words, grace and peace. Only here. Only in the letters to Timothy do we see another one. Do you see it? What is it? Paul adds mercy. Grace, mercy, peace. Why? Why here? Well, you have to understand, if we're going to go through this book, that Timothy's was a tough gig. Like, he is young. He is in bad health as well at this point. And he is stuck in a church that is immersed in false teaching at this point. So what does Paul do? Paul beseeches God. He prays that God will be merciful on this young man, that he would pity this young man and alleviate some of the, you know, the pressures and the effects of sin that are waging war all around Timothy. He prays for grace, mercy, and peace. And as we end, remember this. See those three things. Are they integral to your understanding of the Christian faith? When you think about what it is to be a Christian, do those words resonate? Do those words stand out? Do you see that critical to any proper understanding of Christianity is the saving grace of God seen in the person and the work of Christ? You're not a Christian unless you get that. Do you see that critical to an understanding of Christianity is the mercy that God has demonstrated to his people in Jesus? Do you see that critical to a proper understanding of Christianity is the peace that you now have if you're a Christian. The peace, the reconciliation with God, the wrath 
is no longer on you. You are at peace. Do those three words, do they mean everything to you? And if so, do you do what Paul does here? Do you pray and long that the Christians around you would experience more of those three things? Do you pray that the people in this room this year, do you pray that they would advance and grow in their spiritual lives, in their experience and knowledge of God's blessing? Do you pray those things? I am looking forward to going through 1 Timothy in this place. I'm looking forward to learning more from God about what he wants for London City Presbyterian Church. More than that, I am looking forward to learning more about the God who stands behind these verses. Aren't you? Learning more about the God who is the author and perfecter of our faith. This God who stands united, a triune God. God who is the only fount, the only source of true and lasting what? Grace, mercy, and peace. Let's pray.